It's the Unstoppable Podcast with Dan Gregory and James Lavers. <laughs> really strains the voice, that shit. It does. You know? <laughs> so on that note, I'm going to say, James, a massive welcome to the Unstoppable <laughs> Podcast. My name is Dan J. Gregory, and I am committed to hunting down the secrets of business mastery and human performance. My goal for the Unstoppable Podcast is to share insights from some of the most successful entrepreneurs, inspiring thought leaders, world-class athletes, and prominent celebrities to help you to become unstoppable in business and life. Each week, I'll be bringing you a new interview with an inspiring person and sharing my own results as I pursue the answers to the question, how can I create the ultimate edge in my business, make a significant impact, and live an extraordinary life? Welcome to episode 60 of the Unstoppable Podcast. I can't believe it's episode 60 already, 6-0. It's just unbelievable. And by the way, how did you like the new intro? I think I need to hire James as my new intro guy. That was just amazing. Before I tell you about the very exciting show that I've got lined up for you today, let's recap what's been happening this week. So on Tuesday, I released episode 59 entitled, Where Are You Going in Life? And this was inspired by a number of conversations that I've been having over the past few weeks with entrepreneurs who aren't quite clear on where they want to take their businesses over the long term. So in this episode, I break down a simple process for creating what I call a long haul flight map for your business and life to help you get real clarity on the the game plan. The episode was released on Tuesday because we had a bank holiday weekend here in the UK, but it's back to normal from next week, although I do understand that it'll be Labor Day for my US listeners on Monday, so it's your turn for a break. So as you heard at the beginning of this podcast, I am delighted to bring you the fantastic Mr. James Lavers. Let me tell you, this is not going to be your ordinary episode. Get ready for some mind-blowing content, a barrel of laughs, and some deep philosophical musings. This episode could be the most powerful episode of the Unstoppable podcast yet. So let me tell you all about James Lavers. James is a digital educator, a philosopher, and video sales specialist and founder of Lazy Coach, a boutique training company where James helps experts, entrepreneurs, and small business owners to attain true freedom from constraints and get a global reach through the influential use of online video to monetize their brand and sell more products. James's work is featured in books and on television worldwide, and he is the go-to expert of choice for high-profile authors and international speakers. He has mentored contestants on The Apprentice and his work with brands like Sony, Nintendo, Dyson, Bear Essentials, Zumba, and LMS, both on TV and online video, has resulted in hundreds of millions in additional profits. He runs a 100% online business helping entrepreneurs and experts to create cloud-based digital enterprises. And today we get right into how James has built a business which only requires him to work two days per week and how you can create more freedom in your business using modern video marketing strategies. I recorded this session with James face-to-face at a coffee shop in London. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee and get ready to join us for a thoroughly entertaining, deeply inspiring and wisdom-packed episode introducing Mr. James Lavers. We are in a place called Planet Organic, uh, a really funky cafe here in London somewhere, which I don't know. Everything's organic. (laughs) Everything's organic. The people are organic. Everything about this place is organic. This conversation is going to be organic. (laughs) 
We're just going to see where it goes. Yeah. Just going to see where it goes. I've just necked a double espresso so anything could happen. Yeah. But I just, I just to- had some raw water <laughs> with the O taken out because H2O is taking all of the oxygen from the planet. So we had some H1O. <laughs> that's, that's how organic it is. Yeah. Here. And that's how fresh we're going to get. So, um, James, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. Thank you, Dan. So I'd love to know a little bit about what you're up to right now, what, what's your business all about. and uh... Yeah, right now I'm mainly focusing on my impressions of well-known, well-known uh, voiceover artists. Uh, and I'm working on that. <laughs> no, I'm, um, so I'm focused on educating uh, entrepreneurs with a message. Uh, entrepreneurial thought leaders, modern experts to help them digitize their expertise, basically. Wow. Put it on the internet, make it available to the rest of the world. Awesome. Something I've been doing for a while, and it's something that I think is a great way of getting good work around the world, the kind of stuff you're doing. Awesome. So, James, you said you've been doing it for a while. When when did this all kick off for you? Oh, for me, 2005. Yep. So I was online a little bit before then. Uh, 2005, my daughter Charlotte was born, and that was when I knew... I had to get my shit together. Uh, there's nothing like a little pink ball of screaming, crying. <laughs> Those of you with babies out there, you know. Yeah, I mean, you love them when they come out, right? But it's like, <laughs> no, now I need, this has to have all my attention. So I, um, when my daughter was born, I realized working a job, knowing like the only way I could get more money at the end of the month was doing overtime. Right. So give more of my life. I was already giving such a ton of my life to this work as an infomercial producer and consultant. And it was like, yeah, if you want more money, just work more. And it was like, that's not going to work for me. Yeah, especially this little pink bump yeah. in my life now. Yeah, that is like, I just, you need to give me all your money. <laughs> yeah. You need to, it's not bottles of milk I need, it's bottles of liquidized money I need. Yeah. And uh, they, so they, it don't sell, they don't sell that here, by the way. They don't. Check. No, organic cash is yet to be, <laughs> yet to be done. Like those little juice shots. Yeah. I always say Tony Robbins, somebody I got the opportunity to work with in 2003, um, I think he juices cash. He probably does. Yeah. And I don't think this is an inflammatory comment. And I'll wait. His legal team will let me know. But I think it's not wheatgrass he's drinking. He says it's green. And I think, well, that's cash then, isn't Liquid it? Liquid cash. That's how you get that big. Yeah. <laughs> Juicing yeah. cash. So, yeah, I, I, it was basically desperation. When my, um, I already had a, a stepson uh, who was like one years old. My daughter was coming online. I was like, I've got to get my act together. Like, I need to do something else to make money. I looked at the internet. And uh, I was already good with media, having been an infomercial producer. And I thought there's got to be something with this whole internet. Video wasn't really, like YouTube wasn't around then. Facebook obviously wasn't really happening then. So I just kind of had to figure it out as I went along. Yeah, cool. And here I am. So before, I want to touch into how you actually discovered your new path. Mm. But before you got into that, I guess to get some context, it would be useful to hear a bit about your background. I know you're working in the TV space. And it has a direct correlation with some of the stuff you've been doing over the last few yeah, years. Yeah, for so sure. Talk to us a little bit about your past journey before you started what you're doing right now. Yeah, my sordid past is selling fake diamonds and food processors on TV. So uh, in 93, there was this completely new wave that happened in the UK mm. that came over from the US called Live Home Shopping TV. Mm. You know, we take it for granted now. You turn over any channel on Sky on cable and you'll see you know, people hawking all kind of goods live. 
you know, like it's live in real time. And we were used to infomercials, which are like the pre-recorded shows, these half hour, you can tell they made it months, years ago. Yep. But live home shopping TV was something a little bit different. And it, um, it really properly landed here in 93. I went to work for QVC in 95 when I was 18 years old. Uh, and I was hooked right from the outset. I was going to go to art college, like mm. and be an artist and like be a, like, I'm not, I didn't, I haven't done an MBA. I have literally no education. Fell asleep in my English A level. I don't know anything. Um, and I almost went to Chelsea Art College. On my way out, they had just accepted me, right? So wow. I went to a Chelsea Art College with my portfolio. They're like, we love your work. Come, come here. Wow. And on my way out, there's this, uh, there's this very colorful lady dripping paint onto a canvas. And I have her to thank really for being here today because I was dead set, very excited about going to, to Chelsea. And I went up to her bravely and said, like, what are you doing? Like, this looks so sophisticated and amazing. And she turned to me and she went, I haven't really figured it out yet. <laughs> and literally in that moment, like, the dream of artists <laughs> just crumbled. And I went, okay. It's all, like, I just went, this is bullshit, you know. And I thought, okay, I'll go sell paper and stationery first, which I did for six months really, really well. And then uh, QVC opened up, went to work for them. And I, I, I very quickly became fascinated with the whole, the, it, honestly, power and control. Mm. I'd love mm. to say it was more <laughs> altruistic, but it wasn't. I wanted to be a producer. Well, the minute I started out, I was like, I'm working my way up to be a producer because the producer got to speak in the same way that people listening to us now is like, we're speaking in your ear. Hello, how are you? <laughs> like, a turn left, turn left, go on, turn left. Uh, put your left hand in the air. That, like... As a producer on live home shopping TV, you had this microphone like this. You could talk straight into the presenter's ear. Right. And the other thing you had was, imagine, so imagine you're a presenter listening to us now on QVC. So you're trying to sell this food processor, this, I don't know, crystal mouse, right, to the masses. I've also got this screen next to me that shows me what's happening on the phone lines. I see, in terms of the sales. And it's real time. Wow. Real time. Wow. So I could say to the, to the presenter, do this, you know, like, put your, you know, say... Get this now. And the presenter would be going, Oh, it's a wonderful crystal mouse, you should get this now. Wow. Like this. And I could see whether it worked, whether it made wow. people and it was real time. Amazing. So it's like I could see So basically QVC, once I worked my way up to producer, which took a good few years, um, I think I was producer by ninety nine, ninety nine, two thousand. And then basically QVC became my laboratory awesome. for what makes somebody pick up the phone. I get it. What makes somebody react. Wow. And I could see real time whether it worked. So over the subsequent years, I went in front of camera in 2009, Dan. But up until then, so like 10 years, I tested every influence technique you've ever heard of, read about, thought about, every verbal technique, every... I had this team of presenters that were game. They said, yeah, just tell us what to say, tell us what to do. I had the director who would pick the shots, like, well, tell me what shot you want on air. The shot of the juicer, the shot of the presenter looking at the camera, the shot, and it became an influence laboratory Amazing. for what makes Amazing. somebody buy at a distance. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like what makes somebody who is at home comatose? Yeah. How most of us watch the TV. Yeah. Like, how do you get somebody from comatose to where's my wallet? Where's the phone? I'm buying this now. Wow. Wow. And so, I, um, 2009, because I did that pretty well. 2009, a whole bunch of brands said, "Actually, will you come and work with us and our spokespeople?" And um, so I trained them uh, personally. I went client side, trained them. And then um, some of them said, well, will you go on air and do it for us? Will you represent us? So great opportunity to work with like 
Sony, Nintendo, Samsung, Acer computers, did a lot, sold a lot of laptops, nice. a lot of gaming consoles, then went to work with uh, lots of, you know, skincare companies and things like that. So that was kind of like the consulting side of my business. And that has fed into then when my daughter came along mm. in the overlap for that, there was a point where I was doing both things at the same time. Right. So I was still consulting with brands. Yep. And then I was like, I need more money. Like, sure. and I, the bottom line was there was a huge demand for me to be in London, client days, all this kind of thing. And I was like, I want to be with my daughter, yep. you know? So that's when I thought, well, there are other people, there are small business owners, there are coaches, there are, you know, video was, the Google video was around then. So 2005 Google video, I remember all of my first videos were on Google video. And they didn't have that kind of 10 minute cutoff that YouTube first had, if you remember back in like 2016. It was like 10 minutes, that's it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I was doing these long tutorial videos early on for NLP trainers and coaches and people like that. Basically in, what I'd learned from consulting with big brands, you know? And that's how I got to be where I am now. So was it a natural transition then in terms of, was it an obvious choice of what to do next when you're in that position? No, it had to be pointed out to me. So I went on a training program with a good friend of mine who wanted it filmed. And he said, you're in media. I said, I don't know how to use a camera. He said, don't worry about it. Just put it in the corner of the room and press record. I was like, seriously? He's like, yeah, and you can sit in on the rest of the training. And so he was teaching neurolinguistic programming and stuff like coaching and things like that. And I loved it. And at the end of the training, Alistair Horscroft, his name, a good friend of mine. And at the end of the training, he said, uh, you know what, all this stuff you're doing with skincare and laptops, you should be doing that with coaches. Wow. Like, it works. At that point, you've got to remember, Dan, I'd worked with Paul McKenna, Wayne Dyer, Tony Robbins, mm, but I mm. still hadn't quite made the connection mm. that like, oh, I could take this onto the internet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And then when I did, it took somebody to go do this online. Yeah. It's yep. free. People can do what, they don't have to go on QVC to sell their message, sell their services. Now they can do it online. Wow. So you always have that desire <clears throat> to spend more time with your daughter. Mm. Um, obviously doing great stuff with TV. You know, many people when they first get started in business, making transition from that kind of corporate world, mm. did you, was that a tough decision or was it a natural choice for you to step out and go on your own? No, it was a natural choice for me because I, I hate bosses. Yeah. Like I hate, but the whole, I really don't work well. I'm, I'm not a team player. Uh, I don't like working with others. I don't like being told what to do. It will say on my gravestone, like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> um, no, it was natural. Yep. I just resisted it because there's security in getting a monthly paycheck, isn't there? You know, there's security in uh, a lot of what I had was like retainers with these brands. And it's so seductive when somebody just says, yeah, we'll just put, it doesn't matter how many times you go on air, we'll we'll put this much in your account every month. You go, oh, well, no problem. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's seductive. The wage is seductive, but I just, I don't like being told what to do and I wanted to do my own thing. So what was the kind of first few steps? What, tell us the story of how you got started and how you got your first few clients. Yeah, I went to forums. So again, this was pre-Facebook and YouTube. Yeah. So I was hanging out in forums. So what I knew was I got to find the watering holes where people already are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where are people already hanging out? Um, and at that point, had you decided you were definitely going to work with coaches? Had you, had you decided on your target market? At that I point? wanted to work with people that were helping other people. Mm. That was all I knew. Like yep. That was how I defined it. I was like, I need to... I had spent so much of my life selling crap. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Helping yeah. sell... I don't mean crap. I mean, I'm sure the people that bought it loved it. But like, 
you know, the big green clean machine and the, the <laughs> f- five minute abs, you know, and all these kind of things. And I was like, I really want to help sell some stuff that's good. Yep. Um, like I said, I got the bug 2003 when I worked with Tony Robbins for all of eight minutes. Uh, he was in town to do four shows. Worked with him on the fourth show because his first three tanked a little bit. Mm. Um, and on the fourth show, we knocked it out of the park. I gave him like eight minutes worth of advice. He took it. It was an absolute privilege to work with him because his were the CDs and tapes I'd listened to in my teens Amazing. to help me get over my blushing. And so working with him and the stuff I told him to do working so well, he more than doubled his sales in the, in the fourth show. Like I knew there was something about when that happened that I went, that felt good. Mm. Like I'd, I'd felt excited and powerful in the past when I'd sold lots. But yeah. I didn't necessarily sleep that well knowing I'd sold more of something like a some rubbish face cream do you know what I mean yeah it didn't have meaning yeah and like to know that I'd helped Tony Robbins reach more people and then later Wayne Dyer Paul McKenna and a couple of others I was like that felt really good Mm, mm. Um, so I knew I wanted to help people who had a message that was good you know to help other people yep Um, and I started I went well where are they online where are they and I found all these weird little enthusiast forums. <laughs> like, and it was a lot of people like uh, trainers and NLP trainers and life coaches. And back then it was still pretty new in the UK, even in, you know, when was that? Like, yeah, 2005, 2006. It was still pretty new. Life yeah. coaching was still this kind of like, it was finding its traction here, I think. And um, I just got involved with the forums. Nice. And I just kept seeing the same conversations I just watched and mm. I think that's what I th- it's important to do is just, just like listen and um, you know people were like how do I get more clients how do I work better with people how do I get paid more and I thought I know I can help with this so what was the kind of first kind of product or service you offered to, to help these guys out it was co- just consulting okay so I did Skype uh, I don't know whether it's Skype then or telephone consulting so I just I, uh, I, was, I put out £90 an hour for a marketing consultation, like an online marketing consultation, you know, to get them better at, and it was all like, get more clients, you know, or it was things like, how to make sure your site doesn't suck, Mm. you know, um, uh, how to put, you know, just getting people out of the very self-centered marketing that a lot of people do, you know, me, 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 me. And in the NLP self-help world, what I've seen so much, personal development is, People have such a passion for what they've learned about. Yep. They have this incessant need to explain it to others. Yep. Like, I love this, so you need to understand my love before you can buy from me. And a lot of what I was doing really was just removing that friction, you know, and just saying, look, just what, forget that. Like, what can you give them, you know? So a lot of my consultations. And so this is where it, the story got a bit funny because I was doing all of this to spend more time at home, mm. right? So mm. I started not doing so much of the big brand work, going into QVC. I was cutting that way, way back. I had like two clients and I was doing home coaching and I I had no coach training. Right. Right. So I was, I was an appalling coach. (laughs) I was absolutely appalling. I was so prescriptive. I would just get on the phone and I would just be, I would just rant at them. Like do this, do this, do this. I'd tell them where they were wrong. And my, my, my idea of coaching back then was, overwhelm them with strategy just overwhelm them with all this stuff that they could do and um, so between when I started doing that around about 2005 till around about the summer 2006 I did about a thousand hours of coaching wow and it was it it was exhausting but it was retrograde as well because I was doing it to spend more time at home Mm. and I sometimes say this in 
you know, when I'm telling my stories in a, in a, in a, not in an environment like this, you know, if I'm on a webinar or something yeah, like this, yeah. I, I tell the story in a much more kind of structured way about how, but it's true when I say that I was closer in meters and feet to my daughter, but I wasn't closer Got in it. heart and head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think when I say that, it's a little bit catchphrasy, but actually it, was, it felt absolutely true. I was right there at home. She was 10 feet away from me in the living room playing with her mum there. And I was still working yeah. and I was working harder. Mm. And most of my sessions were free sessions. The ones that were paid were like 90 pound an hour. And I grafted, grafted for a year, did, like I said, about a thousand hours. And then when Charlotte started to walk, just when she was starting to walk, uh, one day she was trying to, she got away from her mum, as they do when they get to that age. It's yeah. like, look, you know, the radar's down for a second and they're gone. And she, I had a home office that you had to leave the house to get to and you had to walk like along the decking about 10 feet to get to and um, she wanted to see me like I could hear and and I was on a call and I could hear daddy daddy she left I I can remember it to this day like hearing her and I knew she was coming out the kitchen door toddling along the decking and then she came to I drew the I drew the um, the net curtain across Mm. so she wouldn't see me like what an idiot right and I'm on this call, so I'm trying to impress this client, and I had these really screwed up ideas of what professional meant. To me, professional then was cold, distant, formal. You, you should think that I'm in some big tower block, yeah. uh, you know, office, doing, yeah. you know, I've got multinational offices. There's no way you should hear that my daughter wants to see me, you know. So I just spoke louder and quicker to this client. She's banging on the window. The door opens. She tries to come in to see me, and I slam the door shut on her. And... That, so then that, that second change came because then I was like everything I've done to try and be at home mm. is actually I'd, I'm literally shutting yeah. her out yeah. you know it's almost gone the other way yeah that really hurt that really really hurt I didn't, I didn't hurt her but it, that was the that changed everything so I had been up until that point Dan selling coaching consulting and then I was like all I was doing was the same thing I've been doing it just yeah, at home format. using the internet to kind of chat with people and I was like this is no different yeah. this is no different than what I've been doing yeah. so that's when I started to go I've got to do courses mm. I would come off these calls and I'd be like that was the same call as the guy before yeah. and the girl before that and the guy before that and it was basically the same, same call stuff. and when was this James this was back in 2006 yeah now we're into sort of like spring summer 2006 and that was when I really started to go, I've got to do courses mm. so I could just go, it's all in that course. Go I mean, this check is, out the this course. This is an interesting topic because I guess, you know, hearing that story and the impact it had on your life in terms of the time impact, the impact on relationships, mm. even though 10 years later now, the technology is radically improved. We've still got people out there in the same situation. You mm. know, they, they start a business, they want an internet business, they want to spend more time doing the things they love, yet they spend more time in front of their laptop and less time in front of the people they yeah. care about. Yeah. So I'm really interested to explore into this. So what, what then changed when you had that kind of defining moment? I think I was really lucky, Dan, because I was desperate. Right. I was absolutely desperate because I came from a broken family. Uh, my parents split up when I was like a year and a half. And so I had this, like this mechanism in me that was just like, I will, I will not do that like I will be a present dad Mm. and like that was so strong in me like there was no way I wasn't going to be present for my kids Mm. and I was already screwing that up so for me there was no there was no it was burn your boats yes which has always been my approach it was just there isn't any I see so much hesitation in people and in my clients and umming and erring 
Um, and for me, there was, there was no other way. I was like, I have to make this work. Like, I will. There was no mentors then. There was nobody doing online courses. No, no they're waiting for you to start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, like this reluctant pioneer. Like, I, I wish. I remember looking around, like, how do I do this? And there were people teaching, like, how to do e-books. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. make money from e-books. And I was like, ah, I don't want to do... I don't want to be selling $19 e-books. I don't want to do that. No. I don't want to be selling, like... How to get rich writing nineteen dollar ebooks <laughs> in a nineteen dollar ebook? Yeah, you know, yeah, I just don't yeah, want to do yeah. that crap. And um, so I just thought I want to do. If there's these platforms, if there's these forums, why can't I make my own? Where there's like proprietary information in that one. Yeah, smart. And so I just started to look around, and uh, there wasn't. Now we are so. I got funnily enough, I got a, uh, a message at the time that we we're recording this today from a lady, and I get that these are common, like. Every other day I get these from somebody saying, oh, I'm thinking, could you tell me um, if Kajabi is very good? Kajabi is a platform that I use to host all my online courses and yep. digital coaching programs. Can you tell me if you still use this, why you use it, and is it any good? Because there's this one I'm thinking about. And I just and I think in my head, you're spoiled. Like, yeah, you are so yeah. spoiled. Like, I just said, just make a choice. Yep. Just make a choice. Yep. What you want is to not get it wrong. Like, mm. that's what you want. You mm. want to make the right decision. And I think it's that I need to make the right decision that stops so many people making any decision. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. And so back then, I didn't, there was nobody going, well, you've got these choices. I found this, um, I found this, this online cloud-based software that let you create your own forums. Wow, okay. I think it was called at the time something like Collective X. I think it's still going. Wow. And it was, um, and I used that to make my own forums and I was just like great well I'll just sell people access to these and they can get this all this content this, yeah all this yeah. material in there and I use Google video to host the videos Amazing. you know and just posted them in there and um, but it took a long time so my first online course was released January 2007 wow 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 and I, and I, can't, I will never ever forget that first PayPal notification of payment received I'd had PayPal before from coaching clients, yeah, one -to -one clients but yeah. never for somebody I'd never spoken to Amazing. never met before and that came through and I was just like everything changed yeah the game is everything different. changed the game is different now. and it was hideous like if you look at that I think that course <laughs> is still live and when I look at it now I go oh it's hideous but people there's so much vanity there's so much vanity in business yeah there are people who are like it has to look right it has to think and what I realised was people wanted the info they wanted the guidance they wanted the shortcuts you know mm. the the, mm. the the ease and speed, and they didn't. I never ever to this day, and I've sold a lot of courses. Yes, um, I'm not one of those people that's going to go. I've done seven, eight <laughs> figures, <laughs> nine figures. I've yeah. sold a lot of courses to a huge number of people, and I think once in thousands and thousands and thousands of sales, I've had someone go, "I don't like the look of it." Yeah. Yeah. And yet those are the things that most people worry most about yeah. and think that, oh no, if it doesn't look right, if my logo isn't on that course, they're going to refund or they're going to make me look bad or unprofessional. Mm. And it's... It holds so many people back. I see it every day. It's, mm. uh, it's so frustrating. They've got mm. such, such amazing value to give to the world, yet these tiny little peculiar little details. I've been there yeah. from when I got started. You know, the listeners of podcasts are well familiar with my you know the unstoppable story and how mm. I got stuck in those details and it's it sucks it holds people back but yeah. 
I think what you said there is so important is get past and get to what, what really matters, which is creating results for the clients mm. and doing the work mm. that matters. So fast forward to where you are today then. What, what, are some, what, some of, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced in, in building your brand and your business? Um, I'm very variety driven. So anyone listening to this now who sort of likes to do it their own way and kind of do things different and not get stuck like I get it like I'm with you yes because that's me I'm like remember I'm an artist to begin with so it's like I want to be unique and special and different and great and I think what I try to do though is compartmentalize that based on what I just said it's like I just don't bring that into business decision making so my biggest challenge has been sticking with stuff that has worked yeah because the minute like, like I'll give you an example I'll create a new program um, a new say digital coaching program I've got one that helps people to um, produce different types of like the essential videos for business mm. so you know webinars like how to create an awesome webinar how to create a great homepage video you know all these kind of things um, and I'll create that and I'll have a huge fun doing that and then I'll sell it and I'll resell it and then I kind of go I want to do something else yeah, now yeah, yeah. And my biggest challenge has been me every single time and just going, no, just stick with it. Like, st- keep selling it because yep. that people still want that. And I find that very hard. And I find entrepreneurs, oftentimes we have high variety, like a high need for it's variety. Creative, it's the creative part yeah, of the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in me, that's big. And, I, and that's been my biggest challenge. So how do, you, how do you manage that challenge? That's something I suffer with. And it's... Mm. You know, again, especially right now in 2016, with so many opportunities available. Mm. You know, I walked in here, Planet Organic, and you know, if I wanted to choose a bottle of special organic water, there's about 10 different bottles, yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 different bottles. So even choosing a bottle of water is tough this yeah, day and age. Yeah. So how do you, how have you managed that situation? How have you stayed focused and really, you know, still tapped into that <clears throat> creative source, but mm. stayed focused? How have you done that? Uh, I'm not sure I have a strategy for it. I'm not sure I have a a way, but I can say this. I decided early on between big versus boutique, and that was a huge decision for me. And here's what I mean by that. You look at something like uh, a Josh Whedon superhero film, Mm. right? Like we're talking big franchise movies. Yeah. Like they've got their structure. You can churn three out every year. They will be blockbusters. They'll be in the top... 10 best you know best selling films of all time easy because they've got their formula mm. do you know what I mean like yep. the Marvel superhero films they've got their formula they could chuck them out James Cameron film it's got its formula he will make a billion from it you know yeah. then you've got some now I've always aligned more with the more cult approach the kind of the more boutique approach the I'm happy to be like a Tarantino of my nice. industry you know yeah. somebody yeah. where like those who love him love him those who are just like don't get him don't get him awesome. and his films will do well but they're not in the top 30 they're not in the top 50 films of all time they're way down but he'll be remembered in his own way Absolutely. now for me I chose I'm not saying this is right or wrong but this is certainly the decision I made I chose boutique over big so some of my friends for example and I think by the way this is, this is a model for how you scale your business it's not a model for how you do business it's just how you scale uh, for me, I chose boutique. I, uh, another example, I went to last year 
uh, near where we're, we're doing this interview here, Dan, actually, uh, uh, Alexander McQueen exhibition, the designer. Cool. Now, this guy is the epitome of boutique. And if you, uh, dead now, obviously, tragi- tragically killed himself, but this, he epitomized the boutique mentality to me for business. You, if you see his store here in London, you'll walk past it without even noticing you're walking past it. Mm. Whereas, say, if you see the Louis Vuitton, who represent the big model for scaling, their store is big, glitz, glamour, like everything is coming here and just we are going to sell you more and more and more. Mm. Alexander McQueen, if you want to buy Alexander McQueen in London, you have to seek it out. Like yes. You have to find out where it is. It's not obvious where it is, you know. And I, and I chose boutique. Awesome. So there, I've got friends of mine who do very similar stuff to me who chose the big model and they're better known. They likely make a lot more money. But choosing boutique for me and making that a conscious choice to be boutique, I have found relieved a lot of stress. Because here's why I say this, Dan, and I think this is so important, especially if like you're a want to be like a thought leader or an entrepreneurial thought leader. Is um, oftentimes we come into the kind of the personal development, the kind of entrepreneurial world because we've been exposed to a big name first, mm, mm. and what we do is because we're still like babies we just you know like as babies we learn to walk because we look at our parents and we go they're walking I'll copy them and I think many of us you know we'll go to a big event and we'll see somebody and they'll inspire us and we'll go they're brilliant I want to be like them and and so a lot of people like for me it was Tony Robbins I remember in the early days I thought I've got to try and be big like him I've got to do big events that mean I have thousands of people in there I've got to be on TV I've got to be you know and I think I can create a lot of stress if that's mm. not actually what you want. Absolutely. And I'm, I've always been much happier to be infamous. Like, yeah. most people haven't heard of me. Most people are like, James, who the hell, what? But those who do know me are like, what? You don't know this guy? <laughs> yeah, mate, yeah, like, absolutely. oh my God, it's crazy. It's like, um, you know, again, it's like film directors that, you know, people wouldn't know about. Uh, and the, those that do just go, this is one of the greatest film directors of all time. Um, if I'd say Tarantino to my kids, they're like, well, you, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, that doesn't, doesn't matter. doesn't mean anything to me. To me, it's been a huge influence, you know. Um, and so boutique as a scale model is more, for me, Dan, has been more about creating a raving fan base. Mm. So it's not about upsell. So big model means, and there's nothing wrong, there's nothing bad or evil about either, but I think the big model of business is all about acquisition and upsell mm. you know what I mean mm. getting like getting as well. yep. so it's lots of paid traffic getting people in and getting them spending as much as possible and it needs to be to support big because big means you need a team you often need headquarters you often are spending a lot on advertising mm. so you've got to get people spending big quickly yes so to me that's too stressful and that's too that's also that demands the not the kind of work I want to be doing I want to be spending time with my kids I mean my daughter's just turned 11 now but like I don't want to be doing that I want to be thinking about other things I mean like I think of myself as a digital philosopher not a digital entrepreneur (laughs) I love just sitting around studying and thinking about this stuff as much as I do doing it and whereas boutique is about retention and cross-sell to me mm. so what I've always done I've got a, a really a, a comparatively very small tribe of mm. subscribers and, and customers comparative to some of my friends and, and peers but they buy everything I make yes 
and, and it, yeah, and and it's retention, and it's and that's what I see with you know somebody that loves Tarantino will watch every one of his every films movie, yeah. and will rave about it for life. Yes, and the people that don't get Tarantino will just go, don't get it. I'm going to watch the latest Joss Whedon big budget Marvel, you know, and uh, people that love Alexander McQueen will be like oh my god like this guy is the amazing and people that don't get it will just be never heard of him mm. you know mm. I'm happy to be the never heard of him but those who have love me so when did you make that decision so what I'm thinking here in my head I've got the picture of you slamming the door mm. early days to where you are now you've created this really scalable business with this <clears> boutique model when did you get the kind of vision for what you wanted to create or has that been an evolving process yeah it's, it's definitely been evolving I think I've always liked educating people and passing on highly specialist stuff. So I don't tend to do the whole, here's how to make an ebook. <laughs> I tend to pick very specialist subjects. Yep. And I found that certainly I, I'm very lucky because really I've got one overall strategy and it's kind of three S's. It's uh, scarce, scarce specialist skills. Mm. And that's how I've, um, you're, you're actually, after we do this interview, you're interviewing another gentleman that we both know. Yes. Who trained with somebody called Daniel Priestley. I don't know whether you've interviewed Daniel Priestley yet. yet. No. Author of uh, Oversubscribed, Key Person of Influence, incredible entrepreneur. Uh, just going to, is going to take over the world. And, um, but one of the, I see lots of people in my kind of field and they're trying to get the attention of the big names. You know, they want them to promote them. I've always found that they came come to me. Nice. So all the people that I always wanted as friends have become my friends because they just like my scarce specialist skills. Yes. Um, and so I've always put my focus on not being too general, mm. having very, very specialist stuff. Again, this means I'm not bought by everybody, mm. Mm. which then supports having a very lean business. If I had high overheads, I would have no money left over to spend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not making millions every month. I'm making a lot of money, and I do... Like I'm very, I consider myself very, very lucky. But I'm not, you know, going on doing, you know, seven figures every month or anything like that. But because I've got, this is why I love the boutique model. Because I've got a small loyal fan base. I don't have to spend any money on advertising. I don't have to be putting out, you know, hey, come to our big event. We need ten thousand bums on seats or any of that stuff. And all the stress of that. Um, it means that. I attract not only the customers that want to learn that stuff, but also scarce specialist skills people will pay more for. Yes, they will. Yeah. Um, it also means that the other the people who uh, do go by the big business model, they want me as their as speakers, as guests, as their guest speakers. The so it's just anyway. been wonderful. Yeah, it's been yeah. wonderful. So it means that I've been, I've been, uh, I've attracted friends who have very big businesses and do that and they just go well you've got scarce specialist skills we want to hire you for that we want to and it's just been wonderful but in terms of evolving it's definitely evolved I think there was a point up until I would say down about about three or four years ago where I still thought I should be big and this is what I think too many business owners think is I think entrepreneur means you must build a huge enterprise that is multinational that is making trillions right Mm. (laughs) <laughs> and there is this unspoken rule that that's what being successful is. And, I'm, and, I, and I, I say, screw that. I say, being an entrepreneur does mean... But I do think you do have a choice to make. You will come to a fork in the road where you go, do I go big or do I go boutique? Mm. I chose boutique. Awesome. I'm very happy with that awesome. decision. Awesome. And what have been some of the most proudest moments since you started your business? That first customer 
that very first sale coming through that was huge that awesome. was huge because yeah. I, I was literally like I did that my, wor- my words on screen and all that kind of thing I never met that person what did that do to your belief levels about what was possible in your business I already believed it because I'd done it in my work with QVC you know I'd already seen that I could influence people at a distance doing it on the internet without a big TV studio without any of that just doing it with my laptop and a you know a mic um, was huge um and what it did to my beliefs was just go, well, do it again, do it yeah. more. You know, it was Keep just going. like, yeah, I don't, I, I tend, I mean, I get quite philosophic about beliefs and values because a belief is a feeling of certainty about something. And I've always found the minute I get too certain about something, it's like you are ignoring something else. So there's a, there's a, I'm sure there's a better quote by somebody far more intelligent than me around it. But uh, in fact, a friend of mine posted it on Facebook the other day and it was something around, Oftentimes, the intelligent people, the entrepreneurs, are the ones that doubt themselves the most. I've always found it's been quite helpful not to believe anything too strongly. Yep. You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Because uh, it kind of leaves, it, it closes off. So Yeah, it closes doors to other ideas, other yeah. perspectives. Yeah, yeah, totally. And the amount of times I've heard someone say, you know, I look back at my work from 10 years ago and I was so certain about the answers. And then they look yeah. back and say, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's true. You know, if you get so tied up about who you are and what you do, Mm. all the message mm. without opening the door to other things I mm. think you know it just closes your mind I think in any area outside of business it's, mm. it's, it's dangerous in any any realm of life I think so yeah. I, I respect that yeah so I think in terms of proudest moments I don't I'm not sure I feel a lot of pride if I'm honest I'm not sure pride is one of those things I feel a lot if I'm honest with you I think what I, I feel a lot is just um I feel very lucky, like every t- still to this day, I've just run a big summer sale, right? So where I'm discounting a whole load of my courses, kind of clearing the shelves, closing off some of my old courses that I made like five, six years ago, discontinuing them. And I still, I enter every buyer manually into the course. I still do that. It takes all of 20 seconds, less than that. And I could get an API, get some coder to do that. And I would, but for me, I like personally entering. All I have to do in my system is go full name, then first name, and then their email address, and go send their login information to them. So this is people that have bought a course. I still do that with every single buyer. I tell you why, is because that person's just funded my life a bit. Yes. And this is is one of my, I want to say hate, I don't know if it's a hate, it's one of the things that confuses me about big business is we always want to distance I see big businesses do this we always want to distance the customer from that revenue and we do that with language we do that with layers of of just bullshit and logistics and departments and all that and for me I try and I love that every time like I feel lucky every time an order comes through I say thank you to that person like I've got a, a bit of software called Putler that links through to PayPal and it makes a ka sound every time an order comes through <laughs> and I see their name come up and I go oh thanks yep. uh, thank you yep. now that person has just paid for you've got to remember you're paying customers they're paying for your life yep. they're paying for your life absolutely like this coffee I'm drinking here this beautiful planet organic 20 pound <laughs> 20 dollar coffee right like, that was bought and paid for by a customer you know, the cash is in my pocket for sure, but they was put there by somebody that went, I want that course and I'll give you some money for that course. And I, I try never, and that's the other thing I like about being boutique is I can still keep that touch point. Human touch. 
Yeah, that's really important to me. Yeah, I think and if I, you look at the big businesses that are winning now, you know, post-recession, they're all yeah. customer-centric business. Yeah. It's truly at the heart of what they do, whether mm. it's big business, small business. You know, we live in a world where transparency is king now, I believe. Mm, mm. You know, social media puts the eyeballs on everything. And if, you, if you can be clearly seen to be the guy who, or girl who's putting the customer at the center of everything you do, that's only going to attract more love for your brand. And totally I think, agree. I think the whole big versus boutique, how does the big business do that? I don't know. But mm. in the boutique world, from what you've described, you can really have that human touch. And I think the ones that are doing well, the big businesses that are doing it well, are able to create a boutique feel. Within the big. You yeah. know, like, yeah, if you yeah. look at something like Innocent Smoothies, you know, they started, you know, at festivals just handing out little samples. Do you know what I mean to Absolutely. people? And I think that, that they've always kept the chat and the... the and there are some companies that are trying to like copy that conversational style and they don't quite get it. Yep. And it's I think, it, yeah, it's like a, it's having the culture of, no, we want to know what you like, you know, all those kind of things. So I wouldn't say proud. I would say the thing I feel the most is just so thankful every time an order comes through because it's paying for my life. And I think, again, a lot of us exist. How do you pay for your life right now? It's like a lot of people pay for their life with debt. So it's just like, well, put it on the credit card, put it on the debit card, um, put it, or they borrow money, or and there's nothing wrong, I'm not demonizing this stuff, or you sell an asset, oh, we sold the house, we've got some money, we'll spend that, or, you know, sell a piece of art, or do, you know, or, you know, sell some stuff on eBay. It's like, there's only so many ways you can pay for your life. Yes. The thing is, most of the ways that most people pay for their lives, it, 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 there's no touch point with the customers there. I love, like, I'm very, very lucky, it's mainly through bad decision making, but I'm very lucky that I'm, completely consumer debt free and I uh, I've set my life up so that I spend what I make that's mm. it like mm. I don't borrow mm. to, sp- to live and I like that I, it gives me a feeling of kind of groundedness Dan because I go no it's like if I'm serving my customers I get to live good yes do you know what I mean yes and it's like the perfect barometer for me and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with going and getting venture capital and investment what I would say though is all of that stuff or going into debt to start your business I see so many people I'd say it's one of the number one problems with entrepreneurs is oftentimes they'll they'll borrow to start their business mm. and I always go no sell to start your yes. business yes because it's not real if you're if you're going into debt to start the business it's like that's not your money that's not the customers uh, vote yeah Plus funding not, the business it's not know? necessarily your skin in the game either it's someone else's and you can make you choose different things at that yeah. point you know you can rely on that debt money to do do things and not take the risk that perhaps you should be taking yeah. if you were doing it on your own back you know yeah. you think about for yourself and I think that comes from my work at QVC is like I, I could see it was such an amazing education like a deep deep education because I would see what we would say what we would do would make somebody pick up the phone and buy and I always thought that's there's a certain purity in that that I love absolutely and I want to have a conversation you, you know you talked about QVC that live magic mm. you know being able to influence in the moment that mm. real in present moment um influencing sales influencing consumer behavior i really want to get into that in a moment and talk yeah, yeah. about how, how it relates to where we are right now in 2016 with facebook live and how so entrepreneurs can use that yeah but before we do i just want to touch on one final thing to kind of close it off you know the conversation kind of started about that desire to create leverage in your business mm. how, how is your work-life balance right now and what, what are some of the things you've done to ensure that you can retain it yeah uh, created lots of products yes <laughs> lots of products yeah um in spite of me being somebody who's 
the minute I've made it, I'm like, oh, I want to do the next one. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, in spite of myself, just made lots of products so that I probably work like a day a week actual work. Um, like I'll normally have like a marketing day and then a making day, like mm-hmm. making new courses or doing stuff. Not every week. So I, I really don't work very much now. Um, I sell a lot of courses. I, but the thing is, I get bored quite easily, Dan. So like I'll, I'll, I started doing workshops last year more because I was like, I just want to do some more workshops. Yeah. I want to do more live yeah. training. Because yeah. the only thing, that's the only downside, I think, with having a, like a purely virtual business is you can lose track of that FaceTime with customers, mm-hmm. you know, that real being real with them, yeah. which I like. Um, so doing workshops last year, and I've done quite a lot this year as well, I like doing that. But the great thing is I can do that from a place of choice rather than I have to do them to pay the bills. Yes. So that's really nice. I'm very, very lucky. I mean, I'm just very lucky. And it's so in terms of the, the work-life balance, it's mainly life at the moment. Amazing. And, and that's the question I'm having my customers ask. Like my, I think what my work is really all about, like really in essence, is what would you do if you found you had more time on your hands? Mm, mm. What would you do if you found, found you had more time on your hands? Now, most people, that's actually a really hard question to answer. If I say, what would you do if you found you had an extra 100 grand in the bank account? People have got no problem answering that for me. Like mm. everyone's face mm. lights up and they go, oh, well, this, that, the other. If I say, honestly, if you found you had two days a week free, what would you do? Most people kind of freak out. They, they, they short circuit in their that. head. I get that. And they go, yeah. well, does it mean I'm not working hard enough? Should I be working more? Um, you know, and most of my work ultimately, whatever the course is about, is about helping people to actually get that kind of freedom from constraints. That constraint being, we culturally still attach. If you've got free time, you're lazy or you're doing something wrong mm-hmm. or you're, you're not working hard enough. And to me, that's the trap. That's actually the big trap. That it's is the trap. And so my, my company is called Lazy Coach. And, um, but lazy, it's nothing to do with being idle. It's actually about getting to a place where you do have more free time on your hands. And then going, what, am, what do I choose to do with this? Not from a place of shame and guilt that I should be working harder. What if everything was taken care of? What if you had plenty of free money? Like I'm in a place where I've got plenty of, you know, I can't go out and buy a, a, a supercar every day, but I can pretty much do what I want most days. Yep. Um, and I've got days free. Now, when you're in that place, you go, oh, this is weird. Like, <laughs> should I be working hard? I should be at the office more. And I, I won't do that. I, yeah. What I'm looking to do now is go, how can I actually answer that question? What would I do if I have more free time on my hands? I think that's a really powerful question to ask because, you know, Lizzie and I, my partner, we were talking about this the other day. You know, I've been putting quite a bit of time recently. Mm. And I think sometimes it becomes like a crutch. You put in more time on your business because you've lost sight of the things that, that make you happy. Yeah. You know, I've brought this up in a podcast recently talking about you know, I was at the beach and I asked myself, what am I most happy about? And I struggled to answer the question, which was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And now I realized that, you know, I disconnected from some, even the small things like listening to music first thing in the morning, mm. all these little things that you actually love doing. I think a lot of people get so caught in that trap. They're mm. actually working because they've lost track of actually what they really want to do. You know, I asked one of my coaching clients the other day, if you had 12 hours left to live, what would you do? And the answers are very different, you know, when you put that mm. t- false time constraint on there. Or, or even if it's like three months, how would you spend your time? And it's very different to what perhaps so they true. were doing right now. And it reorganizes your brain to focus on what the real priorities are in your life, what's most important to you. But a lot of people don't have the freedom that you've been able to create for yourself. But and most people rush to try and fill it. So if you say, what would you do if you had six extra hours? They're like, whoa, I rush to fill it. Yeah. And it's like what I'm 
working with, and this is the, like the philosopher side of the work that I'm doing, is actually going, well, what if you don't rush to mm. fill extra time? And I get this all the time with people wanting to get in contact with me, like in my tribe and outside of my tribe, and they go, I'm sure you're very busy. And I go, no, I'm not very busy. <laughs> and they all have reached out to me. Right? I'll give you an example of, of how it can show up. We are so indoctrinated into, if I want to get in touch with you, so like we've been in touch about this interview, right? yes. and uh, people will get in touch with me, and they'll say, James, I'm blah, 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 and I may not answer it. Yep. And then they'll get in touch with me a week later, and they'll go, oh, I'm sure you're very busy. And I'll go, no, no, I'm not busy. Not busy at all. And immediately, I love messing with all these short circuits because they go, well, if you're not busy, why didn't you get back in touch? And I'm like, because you have this programming, and I think this is more deadly than any of the money programming we have. You have this programming that says, if, I'm, if I have time, I should have immediately responded. Mm. And for me, the words availability, it's what... When you've got free time, you choose when you are available for things. Yes. And my answers now to people are, oh, no, no, I'm not busy. I just wasn't available to yes, you. Yes, very good. Wasn't available very to good. you. Um, and what I want to help people to do is to release the guilt and shame of that. Ultimately, my yeah. work really is about. Awesome. Because otherwise, you get into the situation I was in in 2006 wow. where I'm trying to get free time to be with my daughter. Yes. But actually, all I'm doing is filling the time. Wow. Wow. And it's like, it's a trap. It's a trap. And it is this huge... And so all of my work is getting geographically free and time time free. Mm. So you don't have to mm. be somewhere. You don't have to exchange some of your life for stuff. As much as possible. I mean, you can't do it 100%, but doing it as much as possible. So you can be available for the things you want to be. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know? I mean, we could... I could talk to you for hours about that. I think that's something. <laughs> let's, um, let's touch on... Um, if you now. want to follow up one about freedom timed and uh, email, <laughs> email done. <laughs> so let's touch on you. You know, we're about to get excited about video and live, yeah, and where yeah, we're yeah. at in terms of 2016 Facebook Live, the opportunity available to people. You know, for entrepreneurs listening to this, whether you, you, you want to get on the thought leadership model, whether you're a coach, consultant, whether you're going the boutique route or the big route, where where is Facebook Live important, and what do people need to know about the platform? And how can they use <laughs> yeah, it? That's yeah, a big yeah. question. Well, firstly, technically, I'm not I'm not like the technical expert. Like you've you've schooled me today on like where Facebook Live's going. Like mm. you, you, I, I would be more inclined to ask you where it's going and what's going. But here's what I know: is it doesn't matter about the platform. Like, it doesn't matter that it's Facebook Live. Like, prior to Facebook Live being there, we had Periscope, we had Meerkat. We've still got Periscope. Um, I still use Google Hangouts on Air Live to broadcast live video. It's not... You've got to be careful, I believe, first, not to just get caught up in the, it's all Facebook Live. Yes. It's, it's actually, you have to go a level above, I believe, to the psychological thing, which is, what if there was a way to reach... to do a message and have that message work for you when you've stopped doing it. Mm, mm. That gives you time and geograph geographic freedom. Yes. So what Facebook Live really does... Now, the reason it's exciting is this. Everyone's on Facebook, right? So it's a big watering hole that your mm. customers are likely already at. That's exciting. Number two, it's a way of... like, It's like QVC. QVC was live. Yes. So it's in the moment. And there was a certain dynamism about live versus pre-recorded infomercials which still sell well there's a certain dynamism about it that means you can ha you can it's like a laboratory it's yes. like a testing ground yes and i always i love testing testing um i i, I learned from a guy called alex mandosian uh, i i remember him not learned so much but i heard him on a call one time saying 
everything's a test even when it's working yes and I went oh there's so much wisdom in that and to me Facebook live is a place to test mm. live mm. even when something's working like I'll do a I'm doing a webinar tonight and I'll do it in the way that is currently working for me yes but I don't get set on it I go this is still a test and if it changes or if it stops responding in the same way I just go okay I've got some new test results I'm going to change nice and so Facebook Live, the reason it's exciting is because it's a, it's a direct way of getting a very dynamic, visceral, in-the-moment message to, to, to your customers. Um, if, you, if your Facebook friends, though, are your mum and dad and your mates from school, it's not going to work for you. Like, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> yeah, move yeah. on. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Don't worry about it. But if, like me, you know, I'm nearly filled up on Facebook friends, uh, nearing 5,000 or whatever. Obviously, I know them all intimately and personally, and they're all... <laughs> My very, very good friends. <laughs> well, even if you, put their, you put their email address in your system at some yeah, point. Yeah, so yeah, they're sure. kind of... Um, I'm sure. The, um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the people that are my friends on Facebook are the kinds of people that would benefit from buying some of my courses. So for me, going live, I mean, I have to have live conversations with them is just immense. Um, there's so much amazing positive psychology working for you when you broadcast on live. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't do enough is validate and acknowledge the viewers yeah, yeah. you know and when you can start to do somebody that's doing that amazingly well is Gary Vaynerchuk yes. who I knew before he was famous <laughs> I always say that though. <laughs> he, was, he was one of the early mentors uh, he was doing online video 2008 so a little after me it's a bit late to the party Gary but uh, <laughs> he actually did it amazingly because he realised he got it early on I think the genius of that man is he got look let's just have a conversation with people let's involve people let's let's talk to the person on the other side of that lens rather than scripted rubbish you know and that's what he's done in some ways better than than most mm, you know mm, mm. he's doing facebook live amazingly as well so just watch the people that are doing it really really well and getting the responses yeah you know and just test what gets a response that's what i always do um i what, think what are some of the biggest mistakes you think people make when it comes to using live um, they're not you've got to understand that when you go live on Facebook because it's everyone's wanting to do it when you get a sudden explosion when they launch February yeah. right this yeah. year at the time that we're doing this February 2016 what you get is you get this sudden explosion everyone tries it and then this sudden drop off now we're starting to get the drop off now people that go well I tried it I shared my breakfast with people <laughs> and said what my day's about and yeah. nobody said anything so didn't work for me I go no it's just nobody cared about your breakfast and what you were going to do with your day that's mm, all it doesn't mean mm, mm. doesn't mean it didn't work yes. you know we do these, <laughs> these weird complex equivalences where we go well this means that even though they're not the same thing not related uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the biggest mistakes is, is state yeah. so it comes back to it a lot of the work I do even now I still have two corporate clients a year my, one of my current corporate clients is uh, Bare Minerals 1.8 billion dollar makeup company and they've got an amazing we talked about the kind of boutique feel they're a big company yeah. but they've got the boutique makeup nice. feel you know they have real conversations with their customers they've got very active Facebook pages and social media and um, uh, the, the, the great thing is is that you, you've got to make it a conversation you've got to Remember that state is every. If I go in and work with them, where just before they're about to go and sell on QVC, so I'll go in and I'll work with their uh, their spokespeople. 
And most of my work, 80% of my work is being in the right state when you go on air. And that doesn't mean being like crazy state, pumping the air like, yeah, motivate. <laughs> it's actually about being really excited for the viewer. Yes, I like that. And that is one of the most subtle, most, there's a, honestly, $100 million secret right there is when you're on camera, be excited on behalf of the viewer. Like I always say when I'm training, when I'm doing my workshops, have you ever given a present, Dan, to somebody like your wife? We were talking about earlier. <laughs> have you? Sorry, your partner. Yeah. The, have you ever given a present to somebody, and you can't wait for them to open it? You're like, oh my god, come on, open it, open it! Like you are excited for what is in store for them. Yes, absolutely. And I'm like, if you can bottle that state in yourself and nice, bring it to your nice. broadcasts, you you won't you won't believe the difference it will make I love the that. problem is most people are just flat freaking boring mm. they're in a crap state and if I learned nothing like if I was to distill everything from all of my years modeling what makes people buy at a distance through the medium of video and TV it's it's state mm. it comes down to state you can like I I do teach some pretty like very detailed driven stuff about particular words to say little like how to leverage these little psychological triggers and but you know most of it is state yeah and i always say what are you most people watching like think if you're listening to this now people are going to be listening to what on their mobile devices on their on their so you're probably near your computer or you're on a tablet device or your mobile right now yeah now i would say well what state are you in now like how are you sitting are you kind of slumped are you kind of you kind of most of us, when we're at our computers, are kind of in a semi-comatose state. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. barely, like slight, a little bit of drool, maybe. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and, and this was what I said, funnily enough, to Tony Robbins when I was working with him, because he was like, what are we going to do? I said, Tony, they are, when they're watching TV, we're just, we are one level above comatose. You know, yeah. we're just slouched. I said, we've got to change their state. Forget, like, what to say to make them buy. What can we do to actually move the viewer's state? And... That's what you've got to do the most. Like, so if you, it, people worry too much about the content of what they're going to say and how they're going to say it, and they stress about that. They're like, what if I say um, er, uh, or cough, <laughs> or swallow, and oh my God, I'm going to give it. And I'm like, don't worry about that. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Like, it's important, but don't worry too much. Worry first about, like, this interview, for example. I can't wait for people to be hearing it. Like, yes, I lo- like I'm loving it, and hopefully, y- you listening to that. Yeah, you. Who did you think <laughs> I was talking You. Yeah. No, not the person behind you. You, I'm talking to you. But like, I'm really excited for you about this because this Same. is. I really think this can this can make a difference. And I think if you could take that to your broadcast rather than just like, oh hi, here I am, just making a coffee, and I wanted to share an inspiring thought with you today. The inspiring thought is you can become what you think about. And you know, I remember when I first started to think about what I was thinking and. Uh, and it's like kill me yep. you know what I mean kill yep. me it's like if you if you have a message to share like say it's an inspiring message be excited on behalf of the viewer like oh my god you do not know what's in store for you yeah. I'm yeah. so looking forward to sharing this with you and that changes state more than anything awesome. more than anything awesome. what I love about that James is that you were talking about <clears throat> the state is the focus on the on, on the, receiver, yeah. the receiver because I've got friends who are very extrovert but I also have friends who are very introvert yeah. and they, they kind of freak out about this live thing because they're like oh I need to be all out, out there and I was like well no you don't it's not about that it's about no. the energy and I remember when I was in corporate I worked with this leader he was very introverted very quiet but he spoke in a way that just had you kind of lean in mm. because what he was saying was so powerful mm. he, he didn't have to be like wow you know I worked, yeah. with, I worked with leaders like bang 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 
And, but they're both powerful in different yeah, ways. And yeah. I think if your mindset is, rather than being on yourself, how am I, in my arms flailing mm. around, whatever, it's, it's more about how am I delivering for the end user? I think that's such a powerful state to get And showing up for them. For them, That's exactly. the thing, I'm showing up here today for you. Yep. And whereas I think most of the live that are now like I said, we're going to get this massive surge. It's probably going to carry on for a while where everyone's jumping on live. Um, and I think, you know, it'll drop off because most people are going on for themselves. Mm. You know, they're mm. showing up on there and it's like, oh, yeah, I like this message. And I think, yeah, I'm going to talk about that. You know, like, what shall I talk about? Yes. And it's like, no, what do you want to leave behind? What do you ask yourself before you ever press live, go live? Like, what do you want to leave behind with every viewer? Not what do you want to say? Yes. Because yes. I talk garbage. Like I don't, I, I don't draw on any words that have any more than about seven letters, right? And letters is probably the longest word I know. But like you know, I fell asleep in my English exams. I, I you know, I'm really Ill, ill-educated. But my, you know, I'm still the only person in the world that went was a producer consultant for QVC and then went in front of camera. Mm. And I think one of the one of the, the reasons they chose me to sell, in some cases, millions and millions of pounds and dollars worth of whether it was computers or whatever it was, a day was because of my ability to change the state of the viewer. Amazing. And I think if you can do that, you... Oh, it's a, it sounds like a cliche, but it is kind of like the keys to the vault. It's the, it the keys to the trust of the viewers as well. Yeah. You know? And I think, especially if, like me, you have a boutique business, it's what will keep people coming back. I'll do webinars for people who've not bought from me and a third of the people that show up are clients. And sometimes it gets pretty embarrassing. I'm like, guys, you've already bought this. You can bug off. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, no, yeah. we just love showing up. Yeah, yeah. And I always think, well, it's a great compliment. Yeah. So I think the number one thing is to remember, because I could bombard you with a million one tactics and techniques, but I think the first thing is you've got, if you expect, most people go into a Facebook Live and they go, well, I want to get liked and shared and commented. Mm, right? Mm. I want people to do that. I want loads of people to watch and comment and say it's great. Yeah. And that's what they go in hoping for. And I go, if you want comments, you've got to make it comment worthy. Yes, be noteworthy. If you want it to be shared, you've got to make it something that people will want to share. Yes. How are you? Like, you can't, most people just expect the viewer's state to change. You've yeah. got to go, well, the question you've got to ask yourself before you ever go live is, okay, what do I want from this live? I want it to be commented on a lot. I want a lot of conversation to start. Okay. What state do I have to be to make this a conversation starter? Mm. Get into mm. that state and then get excited on their behalf for the conversation you're about to start with them. Powerful. And that will create a great Facebook Live. Powerful. So now, before we started this podcast, we were debating whether we should do a live version of it. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're in a busy cafe. We've already been told off once for being too loud. <laughs> <laughs> Probably d- uh, defaming their, uh, their, their products or whatever. But, um, you know, so I've done some live podcasts. And the challenge for me, I'm, I'm doing it there, I'm on the screen, my guest is on the screen, and I just have this feeling inside me that people are watching, I know they're watching, but in a podcast, I need it to be radio friendly as well as engaging for the Facebook listeners. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to take that, but for people who are just using Facebook Live, you know, you've got that live audience, so how do you create engagement? What's the, what are some of the best practices you've seen? Because you have got those people there that you can, you can interact with. How do you create real quality engagement? Honestly, ask for it. Yeah, people are too frightened to ask for it <laughs> so people expect it rather than just going if you want people to share yeah. ask them to share it <laughs> and they will it's crazy what you can get if you ask you yeah. know? and so um, I just ask all the time I give permission to I say that it will make me feel good I yeah. use everything yeah. I say it makes me really happy when you like it thank you and people do awesome. I, say, I say 
you know, do you think I'm full of shit with this? With this, tell me. Like, start the conversation. What I tend to find, though, is if you ask for too many things, there is a tipping point where if you ask for too many actions, the chances of getting any of them go down. Yeah. So I, I tend to, before a, before a Facebook Live, and remember, I'm doing them to boutique audiences, so I don't get, you know, we were talking before the show about how, you know, your first one got like 10,000 reach. Yeah. Yeah. Like, none of mine do. Like, right. all, of my, all of my videos are very small, very niche to a small boutique audience. But my engagement is 10x so, most people's yeah. that are getting thousands. Awesome. Because I just have a principle, I'll ask for it. And I treat it like... I, I, I hallucinate a lot. So I... <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's from uh, my drug-taking days, I think. But the, um, it, I hallucinate because you can't see your audience. Absolutely. So I assume they're there. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and it's yeah. why everybody that comes on a live book, I'll say hi, I'll bring them into the conversation, I'll poke fun at them, I'll tease them. And I, when I look at that lens, I don't see a round, tiny bit of glass. I really see the people on the other side Amazing. of that. And I think you have to do... Like a, I always think, if somebody came down from space and looked from above at me doing a Facebook Live, they'd go, this looks crazy. There's a human animal behaving like they're interacting with loads of other human animals but there's no one else there yeah like you have to you have to charlie chaplin always said you know i was willing to be ridiculous like that's my success i was willing to be ridiculous where others wouldn't and i always think you've got to number one realize that going live at all is bonkers yes like I, most of the ones i do are on my own yeah i'm on my own yeah but i'm interacting like there's loads of people there of course like get over that it's just like yep you've got to do that you've got to act like those people are there you've got to act like it's your party and they've come to your party and you know you're just you're being a good host to a good party and um, I always talk about the party principle as something you've got to you know as you, when you're navigating a live broadcast people are coming into your party so you, if you run your party by going you know the doorbell rings you go oh hi <laughs> yeah, yeah come on in yeah take a seat I'll put some music on in a minute. You're like, I'm out of this party. Yeah. Whereas even if you're the first guest, because the minute you do a Facebook Live, you'll always start with nobody there. Yes. And that, I love. I actually love watching it, just to shame those people. They're, they're <laughs> like, they start and they go, oh, okay, no one's here yet. Um, uh, and I'm like, you wouldn't start a party like that. No. That first, <laughs> that first in front room by yeah, yourself. <laughs> that first guest that arrives, yeah. you start the party like it's a, a party that's jamming. Yeah. And that first guest that comes, you treat them like they're royalty. The that. next person treat them like they're royalty. That. You know, all that, that kind of stuff. So um, I think with, uh, yeah, with live, you've got you've to really just kind of, you've got to hallucinate a lot. I like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you really have. You really have. See, I like the analogy of the party. There, you know, get you know the whole noteworthiness. If you want to be shared, you have to, you have to create shareable content. And you know, if you if you're if you're known for putting on good parties, people are going to come and yeah. they're going to tell others about the party because it was so great. You know, the, you know, think about my university years. There's always people who had these amazing parties, and you yeah. go every time. You bring your yeah, friends, yeah. and all of a sudden it goes crazy, and it's, it's no different. It's interesting what you just said because it's like what makes a comment worthy FB live isn't always what will make a share worthy one. Interesting. So you think about what gets shared is usually a very small unit. Like, and you think about it physically. If I wanted to share, say, if I handed you a cow and a whole bale of wheat. And if I handed you a load of tomatoes, and if I handed you a whole bunch of equipment, and I said, there you go, there's your burger, you'd go, this is not, I can't transport, like, I can't do anything with this. Yes. If I just hand you a burger wrapped up, ready to go. And I think, so, shareable content needs to be small chunk, it needs chunk to be one idea, 
Um, it needs to be short. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. Whereas comment worthy, and I often find this with entrepreneurs, they say, I'm getting no comments. I'm saying that's because you're presenting an idea without any room for conversation on it. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, me included, will go, I know, I know this, I'm going to tell you this. And you go, well, don't expect comments then. Mm. All, you'll mm. expect, all you can expect is people to go, oh, wow, wonderful, you're so brilliant. If you actually want comments, you have to leave space for comment. You have to be able to go, look, I may be wrong on this. Do you think I'm right? Like, like it. have I got this? Do you see what questions, I mean? Powerful questions, yeah. And if you want your comment, if you want your share to be, uh, your FB Live to be liked, for example, or loved, or the people to hit wow or whatever it might be, then that is where maybe you do need to be a bit more dictatorial and go, look, this is the way it is. If you agree with me, hit like. Go. Like it, Do you yeah. see what I mean? Yeah, call to actions. So, yeah, so when people say like, comment, share, that's actually a fallacy because I think, you have to decide before you ever do your FB Live. Is this a comment-worthy one? Is this one I want shared? Because really it'll like usually make a very different FB Live. Wow, I really like that. Mm. Wow. So this has been fascinating. James, we're coming right up to time. Okay, so cool. I've got three uh, questions to finish the show for you. Sure. So one of the questions is normally, I normally ask, what advice would you give your younger self? But I'm, I've heard it asked the other way today, and mm. it really made me think. So I'm going to ask you the same question. Yeah. So if your younger self... You can choose the age, was to see you now and everything you've done and, and where you're at right now. What would your younger self think or say about you right now? What would they say to you? My younger self would probably be um, me at about seven, I would say. And, oh wow, this is huge actually, because I've recently done a lot of work around this and it'd be like, don't abandon me. Wow. And the reason I say that is because on this, like, being an entrepreneur will is n actually most of it is nothing to do with business mm. most of it is nothing to do with business it's everything to do with your sense of worthiness mm. Mm. of having a voice of it's okay to stand up yes. it's like you're all right do you know what i mean like you are good you're worthy and he would say I, I, it chokes me up actually saying this but like i think i think i would have the young me go don't abandon me like you're worthy you can do it and I'd have I'd have him come and tell me that awesome yeah oh respect respect mm. well we said before the show my goal is to bring out the stories and the emotion yeah, yeah. you got me you got me there um, as well so um, great message um, so the next question is going to be probably a little less emotional yeah yeah. <laughs> is, um, yeah I'm not sure if you're a reader I'm sure you are but is there been a book that's really impacted your business journey that's really had a great impact on what you do and mm. who you are and what would that book be if that has made that impact for you? I think the book that made the... Uh, wow, that's such a... Uh, you see, you sent me that before and I didn't really give that any thought um, because I'm not a big reader. Mm. Um, I tend to find... Now, I'll tell you the reason why. I'll try and make this a short answer. I always tend to think anything written in a book is immediately in the past. Mm. It's immediately wow. old information. Wow. Right? So I love all... Like, there's so many books that I kind of read or have read and those kind of things and that I like uh, we both have, have uh, shared Tim Ferriss as somebody yep. that we respect and you know I like for, for our work week um, Lazy Man's Way to Riches was an influence for me becoming you know creating the Lazy Coach way but I tend not to get too attached to, to books actually I like that. and the, for the reasons I said it's immediately in the past it's immediately old information and also it's, it's always any book is always within a set existing set of paradigms it's also someone else's model of the world I think yeah exactly and I tend to 
you, when you read a business book, you're being asked to enter that person's paradigm. Mm. And I think there's, there's risk in that. Yep. And the risk is that you go, that's right. Yes. That's right. Yes. And I always go, no, screw that. What's right is what's right for you. And, I, and what I want people to trust is your way. It's okay. Like, just do it your way. Absolutely. So I, I, I respect a lot of my clients are authors, you know, and I, I help, you know, I encourage them. And I'm being beaten into writing a book, and I probably will. But um, I think the reason I haven't yet and the reason I love video and video courses is because when the information changes, I can update it. I can delete that video, add a new one. I can keep it fresh. And it's why I love video. So, the okay, so the book that recently has changed a lot for me is Sapiens. Okay, which is wonderful, and it's a it's a historian's view of of, of 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 Homo sapiens and how we came to be. And I would say the education you'll get from reading that book will not only impact business, it'll it'll help you understand why we are the way we are, why we buy, and so many other things. So loving sapiens, and I'm just starting a book called Guns, Germs, and Steel, which is which is fascinating. So oftentimes the books I'm reading are helping me understand human beings. Awesome. Final question for you is what does it mean to be unstoppable to you? What is your definition of being unstoppable? Oh, wonderful. What a great question. I think unstoppable isn't about having more propulsion. So unstoppable to me means not having friction. And I'll t- if it's okay, I'll take like two minutes to explain what yeah. I mean here. Yeah. Yeah. I think so much of the entrepreneurial business building success industry is all of, most of it I'd say 80% at least is concerned with what I call propulsion yeah. so at the beginning end if you think about it it's the rocket fuel right and we've all heard the metaphor of the rocket taking off yes. it uses like most of its fuel, of fuel just yeah. getting like the first couple of hundred miles like a couple of hundred miles out of the atmosphere and I've always thought you know, lots of lots of all the success. You go to a Tony Robbins seminar. You go to all the work on values and beliefs and energy and drink your green juice and all this kind of stuff. It's all so you have more propulsion, mm. more power at the front end. Yes. But I always say, well, think of it as like kicking a football underwater because how most entrepreneurs end up being <laughs> is you could put everything into that kicking that football underwater. You could put everything into it. You could have the most propulsion. You could build the most strength. But when you boot that ball, we all know how far it's going to go underwater. If you remove friction, now if you put that football in space, you know we're up there in an astronaut's out- outfit instead of flippers and a, and a, and a you know a mask, um, and you tap that ball, it'll go forever. Yes. And it'll yes. get faster and faster and faster. Wow. It'll just go. And so for me, unstoppable isn't about being stronger, faster, better. I'm more successful. I've got better values. I've got better beliefs. It's actually about having less friction. Mm. And how you find your friction is super, super simple. Super simple. Whatever it is you want, ask yourself this question. Why have I not already got it? Mm. Wow. Why haven't I not already got it? So people always say to me, well, I want an online business and blah, blah, or I want this, or I want to sell this, I want to do this, I want to do that. I go, well, why haven't you already got it? And they, they go, I get very defensive, I need to get it. And I go, no, 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 don't answer out loud. Yeah. Just write down, why have you not already got it? Whatever you write down, that's your friction. Yep. Remove the friction and you'll get it a lot quicker. Amazing. Yeah, that's unstoppable. Amazing. So the last thing for us to do, James, is... You know, for the people listening today, they want to find out more about you. How do they find out about your work? Where should they start? Where should they go? Yeah, well, I, I'm going to live up to this whole no friction stuff. Um, it's super simple. If if you get your smartphone out, whether you're Android or your Apple, if you go to the App Store on your phone um, and put in Lazy Coach uh, and get my Lazy Coach app, it's completely free. There's no annoying in-app purchasing or anything like that. There's a a lot of really cool stuff in there. And if you need sort of like a sneak peek of what's in there 
before you go download it, which is cool. Like, I totally get it. I don't want to put something on my phone that I don't know what's on there. Go to app.lazycoach.com. App.lazycoach.com. There's a little video that will explain the app. And then go ahead, download it. There's some really cool stuff in there. Awesome. All the links will be in the show notes today. James, thank you so much for unleashing your greatness on the Unstoppable podcast today. It's been a real pleasure interviewing you today. Lots of fun. And the, the new intro is going to be fantastic. <laughs> it's done, Gregory. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Thanks I've really again. enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. How about that, folks? I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. I've taken so much away to ponder upon myself when it comes to my own business, and I'm looking forward to working with James in the near future to achieve more time freedom in my business. The man works just two days a week. I want some of that. My theme for the rest of the year is work less, win more. So this interview came at a great time. And to help me along the way, I've just signed into the Lazy Coach app myself. And there is so much fantastic content in there. So I strongly encourage you to join in, download the Lazy Coach app and join me within the Lazy Coach Boutique. So I'm conscious that I've gone way over time today. I know it's been worth it. So uh, I do appreciate you hanging on. I'm going to wrap up ASCP. I could have talked for James for hours more. But coming up next week, I'm going to be doing an episode on Monday on money shame. So do not miss that one. And on Thursday next week, I'll be bringing you Lazo Freeman, who is recognized as the number one body transformation coach in the UK by the Association of Professional Coaches, Trainers and Consultants. And he is a champion natural bodybuilder. But he first got known for being the face of ultimate sports and nutrition and training CEOs, business leaders and the super rich of London. We're going to be talking about physical transformation and mental transformation. It's going to be a mind-blowing episode. So get ready for another fantastic episode but until next time go out there unleash your greatness build your empire make your impact and live your ultimate life you are unstoppable unstoppable